Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your Word together. And as we do, we invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and guide, to enlighten us, to instruct us, and to quicken us and change us from glory to glory. That, Father God, we would not be the same when we leave this place tonight. We expect, dear Father God, to hear from heaven. We expect, dear Father God, to know what you would have us to do in enhancing change in our lives. And we expect, dear Father God, to leave this place refired and refueled and to go out into a world of darkness and proclaim the good news of the gospel as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, we look to you, dear Father God, to manifest yourself tonight in intimacy in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In 1 Samuel 22 and verse 2, it says, And every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. In this verse, we have the understanding that David took 400 men whose lives were troubled and characterized by certain negative emotions and attitudes, and he turned them into one of the greatest, most powerful and productive armies on earth. His mighty men of valor. How many of you remember that? Well, that's exactly what David did. Well, when you have the kind of a mind that thinks a lot, you ask yourself the question, well, how did he do that? These people were in distress. These people were in debt. They were in trouble. They were troubled. I mean, they had a lot of emotional problems, right? And David got a hold of them and turned them into a lean, mean fighting machine. Amen. Amen. Didn't he? How did he do that? Well, we have an idea here. First of all, I think there are two things at least involved here. And the first thing that I realized was this. They were discontented. That means they were dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. They had a restless aspiration for improvement in their lives. That's a good quality. In other words, they wanted something better. They may have been troubled. They may have been in debt. They may have been in distress, but their heads weren't just hung down low in defeat and failure. They said, you know what? We want to improve. Do you realize that's half the battle right there? That might be 90% of the battle right there. When people say, I want to improve. Anybody here want to improve? Amen. Amen. We should all want to improve or make improvements in our lives, in every area of our lives. In our walk with God, in our intimacy with the Father, in our emulating the very character of God in the earth as being a leader in the home or a wife in submission to her husband who is in submission to Jesus Christ or as a child or children submitting themselves to their parents in the Lord so that they can live long on the earth and it will be well with them. 
or in the workplace or just in the world witnessing the love of God as a light in the world of darkness and the salt of the earth, we should all want to improve in our lives. Amen? In our ability to effectively communicate the gospel with people, in our ability to exercise ourselves in self-control, in obedience to the will of God, every one of us should desire to improve. Every one of us. And if we don't have that desire on the inside of us, then something is really wrong. Because every one of us should. We should all be wanting to experience change from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Well, the second thing I think that we need to see is this. David put some good things into these people. David had a wonderful experience in God. And he knew him intimately. He was a man after God's own heart. And he had the ability to teach these people the things he knew about God. And I believe he put within them good things. He taught them good virtues, godly values, views, views and morals. And shared with them good qualities by his precept and example that enabled them to be molded into the army that God wanted them to be. I really believe that if you want to take a group of people and lead them into high places in God, you have got to put some good things into them. Everybody knows we have faults. We can all identify with our failures, our shortcomings and all that, right? You know where you missed the mark. You know where you lack. Well, what we need to get further or what we need to make improvement is some good things put into us. To be established in those things that will help us achieve our full potential in God. I want you to look to the book of Proverbs, if you would, please. Just for a moment, because I believe it all starts right here. Now, we all can be entitled to our own opinions. But I really believe it starts right here, saints. And I don't believe that God has changed at all over the years. I don't even think He's gotten older. I think He's forever the same. What about you? You know, he's constant. He's consistent. He thinks the same. He acts the same. He is the same. He's always the same. He'll always be the same. I guess you can't improve on absolute perfection, can you? Absolutely not. Well, in the book of Proverbs chapter 1, it's found here in verse 7. If you want to get anywhere higher in God, if I want to get anywhere higher in God, if we want to arrive at a place where we can be really lift it up to higher places in the things of God, we need to have this as an anchor for the soul and as a motive behind our service for God. And to be frank about it, I really don't believe that we're ready to serve God or even know Him until we have this genuinely manifested in our lives. And what is it? What is that quality? Verse 7. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's the fear of the Lord. It is the fear of God, a godly, reverential fear that we all have of God. We need to know how awesome He is. We need to know how mighty He is. We need to have respect for Him. 
Beloved, if we can't respect God like we should, how can we respect man who is made after the similitude of God? That's true. If we don't have a high degree of respect and reverential fear of God, then it's difficult for us to respect humanity that God has made in His likeness and image. As you look at that verse, it really tells us that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the alphabet of wisdom and knowledge. Where would we be without the alphabet? It's the alphabet. See, when we say He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, it's talking about the alphabet. You could take the beginning and the end and everything in between that is good, wholesome, godly. That's what He is. He's all of that. And we have got to come to a place where, where we fear God so that we can serve Him and get to know Him like He wants us to. Someone said it like this. If you want a child to be prepared to get behind the wheel of a car and be effective as a driver and careful as a driver and the best driver that person can possibly be, that child needs to understand the machine that he is operating. And he has to have respect for it, not only as something that potentially will service him for good, but also something that can be used as a weapon of destruction to take the lives of other people. That child needs to know that he has to respect whatever that machine weighs. And you multiply at times the force as it travels down the road. But you know as well as I do, when you deal with a teenager along that line, it's very difficult to get the message over across to them. And sometimes I wonder if they ever outgrow it. Because you see, on my way here tonight, I had, a, I had to go through the stop and go. And I'm driving through the stop and go, and then I had to wait to get out. And as I'm waiting to get out, some middle-aged person was sitting there right in front of me. And I'm waiting for him to move so that I can go. And my goodness, he must have burned a quarter of an inch at least or a half inch of rubber off of his tires and shot up my car with stones and all that stuff. And I thought, how mindless. Yeah. Think about that for a moment. How mindless. But if I went back to when I was 16 years old, <laughs> I guess I was mindless back then. Uh, but but the, the point being, if, if you don't respect and have a fear of those things, a, a godly reverential fear, we're not talking about a terror fear, a reverential fear for God. It serves as a proper motivation for the heart. To get to know Him better, to get to love Him and serve Him and do His will. Amen. And make right choices and decisions in life. I'm sure David began there. You guys want to get somewhere, you better fear God. Because if you don't fear God, then you're going to make wrong choices and wrong decisions in your life. So he put some good things into them that helped them grow and develop to the place where they could become productive in living for God. I want you also to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, please, because I believe that as parents, we too are responsible to teach our children and our children's children the same biblical values, virtues, views, and qualities so that they too can be molded in their generation 
into the people that God wants them to be. I really believe this was God's means or method by which He would pass down from one generation to the next generation what was needed for His work to continue upon the earth in a glorious way. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, you'll begin at verse 1 and see this. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither whither ye go to possess it, that you might as fear the Lord thy God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Whether you go to possess it, that you might fear the Lord thy God to keep all His statutes and His commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Here he gives us insight into longevity. And I'm into being fit. I'm into exercising to promote longevity and a longer life. But, beloved, I believe it starts with the spiritual, not with the natural. And the most important things that we can do to live longer upon the earth is to be committed to serving God, to getting to know Him better, and also walking in His ways and keeping His statutes and... Let's not stop there. Being one who teaches others to do the same. Did you notice that here? You teach your son that you and your son. You teach your son godly virtues, godly views, godly values, and godly qualities. Why? So that you may live and that they may live. Going down to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. That is very clear, isn't it? That sounds like a fanatic, doesn't it? Well, we're supposed to be fanatical. Can you say amen? That's probably one of the biggest problems we have in in human life today in the Christian world. Not being sold out enough to the things of God. And just maybe getting a part way in when God says, I want you to jump all the way in. I want you to get as fanatical as you possibly can about my word, about my precepts, about my judgments. I'm not talking about the extreme of emotionalism. I'm talking about where the word of God becomes to you what Jesus said, what you live by. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And to do that, we have got to spend quality time in the Word as well as sharing the Word with our children so that their generation can have the same truths and hold to their, dear to their hearts the same views, values, uh, and, and, and principles upon which to build their lives. And they'll pass it to the next generation and to the next generation. See, it's not just living for myself. Now, that's why he told the the elderly people that they are to be living examples to the younger ones. 
to teach them these qualities, these views, these virtues, and these values. And beloved, if we would do that and obey that, I really believe it would promote longevity, long life in, in, in the church, in the lives of God's people. Well, I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians also, if you would, please, because I'm not just talking about parent-child relationships. I really believe that we, in the fivefold ministry, have the same mandate. And we are to do the same thing that David did. David took 400 men that were seemingly down and out, and he put some good things into them, and as a result, they became a tremendous, powerful force for God in the earth. As parents, we do the same thing. We instill godly principles, mores, and values and views in the lives of our children, qualities by which they can live their lives and get to know God a whole lot better and pass it on to their genera- next generation. But also within a church, I believe we have the same mandate. I believe the fivefold ministry is called by God to do the same thing that David did. The same thing. We've been gifted by God. There have been divine impartations given to us by God. For what reason? Or for what reasons? Well, let's read right here in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. God wants the saints matured. For the work of the ministry, because the work of the ministry must continue to get done in the earth. For the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. See why these gifts are given? For the body of Christ to be perfected. For the work of the ministry to be continued. For the body to be built up, charged up, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Just like those 400 men. They came into the unity or the oneness. Or they came into one accord with regard to purpose. And pursuit. And as a result, they band together, thinking alike, being of one heart, one mind, and one accord, and they made a tremendous impact for God in the earth. As we read on, it says, Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to feed off each other, we need each other. We are to teach one another. We are to learn from one another. Beloved, it doesn't matter how old you are in God either. You can learn from someone else who may just be in the Lord a short period of time because maybe something they got a hold of right away for whatever reason by the Spirit of God. You can learn from that. Or they can ignite within you something that will set you in a specific direction for your life. That's why we need each other. And we can feed off of each other. But the fivefold ministry has a, a main function and purpose. These gifts aren't given for the individuals to be blessed themselves. But they have been given so that the body of Christ would have the opportunity to be molded into what God wants it to be. So that the people would learn to maintain the same values, the same belief system the same godly morals and principles and qualities by which to live their lives. So it would build and build and build and build. We'd feed off each other until finally we become this living organism of love 
that demonstrates the power of God to a lost and needy generation. Isn't that what your desire is, saints? I expect that when we grow to a higher place in God, we can gather together and see even the, the greater, more glorious things that God wants to do in the earth. Now, I'm not talking about just one assembly. I'm talking about the whole body of Christ finally rising up, wanting to improve, being discontented, having a restless aspiration for improvement in their lives. I really believe this with all my heart, that if we had that same attitude of heart and mind and that same quality within us, we'd be too busy being concerned about our own growth and development to get involved in criticizing or judging somebody else. Amen. Amen. Wouldn't we? We'd be so involved in growing ourselves, we don't have time to criticize somebody else. Amen. Till we all come into this place, to the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by everyone to doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. This is what God wants. This is what God is looking for. He is looking for people to come together having the same mind, the same heart, the same purpose, the same vision, having good things put on the inside of them so that they could be edified, built up, grow up, mature and develop, get set on the right course for God, fearing God, loving God, loving man, doing the will of God, making right choices and decisions, living by right morals and values and standards. So that God is glorified. And you talk about a light that's becoming brighter and brighter, more and more in the earth. That's the purpose of the fivefold ministry. And I really believe the pastor probably has one of the primary jobs as far as achieving this is concerned. Why? Because he is in everyday contact with the people that he serves. You see, we're not here just to walk you through life. And you might say, what do you mean walk us through life? Well, think about it. We all have needs. We all need loved and cared for. We all need to be accepted. But also, you might have a need of counseling, of encouraging or being encouraged, as well as being taught. But also, there might be a specific need where there's a death in the family and you need God's people there. You need answers to your questions. Or you might even need some help with other family members that don't have any knowledge of of what takes place after a person departs from this realm of life. You're there to help walk people through life when their child might be under an attack of Satan. Or one has an operation on the brain because of a tumor that was there. And they need you to stand there and support them and be by their side. And you can go throughout all the different aspects of life and... And know that there's a place I can go to where I can find the peace of God. Or maybe just a phone call to receive encouraging words. Encouraging you to continue to believe God. Because the power of God has been unleashed on your behalf and is still there. Just keep it operating to get an end result. But also, beloved, I really believe that God wants those that are in that office to share the same qualities, virtues, views, and values 
that will help God's people rise to higher places and improve in their daily walk with God. I believe that. To challenge God's people to move up in God. Don't you want that for your life? And let's face it, change is not easy. Change means we've got to make a decision in our lives. And beloved, that's probably one of the most important areas to focus on when it comes to putting good things into God's people. The area of making decisions, right choices, to do what is right, to flee what is wrong, to use your free will to line up with God, and how you can make those right choices. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy, if you would please, in chapter 30. And while you're looking there, I'm going to give you a, the NIV version of Deuteronomy 28, a 1228 rather, Deuteronomy 1228. And it says this, do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Do you know that in all situations of life, in all of life's encounters, God is looking for us to do the right thing? And then He is cheering us on to do the right thing. He is prompting us to do the right thing, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Not in our own eyes. Not in the eyes of our friends or peers. Not in the eyes of our relatives. But do things that are right in the eyes of God. That should be a desire each and every one of us has. In all of our lives. Here's a situation that I'm confronted with, Lord. Or here is an opportunity for ministry that I'm confronted with. I want to do what is right in your eyes. You know how easy it is for us to do what is right in our own eyes? Think about it. That's simple. I want to do what is right in your eyes. You know how easy it is to be influenced to do something that is right in the eyes of someone else? Maybe your friends that gather around to try to persuade you to do something their way. It's easy to give in to that. It's easy to listen to other people. Because sometimes I think, well, at least if it fails, we can blame them. Kind of lets us off the hook somewhat, doesn't it? Well, that's what they told me to do. That was the right thing to do at the time because that's what they said to do. I really believe that God wants us to learn, every single one of us, to depend on Him. To develop a kind of rapport with Him that says, I can go to God and expect direction. And beloved, this will help us get to that place. That verse again from the NIV version of Deuteronomy 12, 28 says this. Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. And I can see David telling his men of valor, you need to commit to God to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. That's how I have learned to gain success in my life. I have learned to know Him. I have learned to know His heart. I have learned to know how He moves. I have learned to know what He expects of me. I have learned to know His ways, His statutes, His judgments, His commandments. Therefore, when I act, I do so in light of what I know 
he expects me to do according to what is right in his eyes. And you can see how this, without a doubt, can certainly reduce conflict. Even in marital relationships or family relationships, when the people are committed to doing it God's way, doing it the way that is right in His eyes, not in ours. Well, what a difference that would make in society itself, wouldn't it? Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, I want you to see something here because I really believe it's powerful. In verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. Listen. That you may love the Lord your God, and that thou mayest obey His voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto Him, for He is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Well, beloved, He's not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's our God. He said, fear not. I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Say that with me. He is my God. He is my God. See, He's our God also. Every single one of us has a method by which we make choices and decisions in life. Whether you realize it or not. Every single one of us. Anyone here ever make a decision based on pressure? That was coming to you from someone else? Anybody here? Raise your hand. If you know you've done that in your life. Anybody coerced into doing something? Sure. And sometimes we make choices and yet those choices are, are, aren't right in the eyes of the Lord our God because we've been pressured into making that choice by someone else. Sometimes we make choices based on our feelings. Now, it's okay if you're trying to decide as a family where you're going to eat. Well, I feel for burgers. Or I feel for pizza. Or I feel for this and I feel for that. That's okay if you're near a food court. And you've got five people in the family and everybody wants to see something different. That's okay if you're at a food court. But that's not okay if you need to find one place to go to eat. It can create a problem, right? Absolutely. But feelings play a big role in our decision-making process, don't they? Amen. Certainly. I feel that this is the right thing to do. And we can probably just write a list out as far as what people use, the, the method or the means a person uses to make choices and decisions. We can make decisions based on partial knowledge, lack of information, based on, let's say, half knowledge. And no one's exempt from doing that. At the time, though, you think you made the right choice because of the knowledge that you had. But had you more knowledge, you may have made a different decision or choice in the matter. Well, when it comes to making right choices, this verse is telling us something. We as individuals need to consider the fact that our God is the bottom line in determining what is right and what is wrong. What we should do and what we should not do. 
I really believe that God wants to, to, to reestablish His people in living right. Walking in right views. Manifesting right moral standards. And demonstrating proper virtues and qualities in life. The main reason why that can fall by the wayside is because some of the world has got into the church and the church is in some ways and in some cases allowing this influence, this outside influence to sway the thinking of the people. If you make a decision based on popular opinion, you can be making wrong choices and decisions for your life. Someone in the church, a true bona fide born-again believer, or a couple might be thinking that it's all right to live in fornication because in the 90s, it's been an accepted way to live. But their decision is really not based on what God thinks whatsoever. It's based on maybe popular opinion or it's based on a new set of values. It's based on society. It's based on minds that are not filled with the knowledge of God. Unrenewed minds. Yet we know it happens all the time. To the point where some really think that it's okay. That it's all right. Their conscience becoming seared as with a hot iron. Living a lifestyle that is really not becoming to a Christian and doing those things that are not pleasing in the sight of God, but yet they think everything is okay and they think that everything is all right. See, the thing is, they have never followed this verse of Scripture. God is saying to all created beings, and especially His creation man, look, I'm calling heaven and earth to, to record against you this day. I have placed before you good and evil. Blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose. The choice is yours, but his big long finger is pointing to life. It's pointing to blessing. It is pointing to that which is good. I've got good things for you. I've got wonderful things for you. I've got glorious things for you. I want you to choose my ways. But man, being a free will moral agent, has a right to choose what he wants to do with his life. And even though God says choose the right way, unless a person makes a decision in his own heart and mind based on the fear of God, that God is the bottom line when it comes to what is right and what is wrong for my life. He is the standard by which I will live my life. His views, his morals, his beliefs, his principles are going to determine how I live my life. That's number one. It's not going to be based on me, my culture, my friends, my feelings, popular opinion. When I make a decision in my life to do something, it's going to be determined by what God says is right and by what God says is wrong. Hallelujah. You believe that's how we should live our lives? And what does he say here will be the end result thereof? He says right here, if you consider God in your decision-making process, it's going to be well with you. You're going to live and your seed's going to live 
You will love the Lord your God as you obey His voice. You will cleave to Him. Beloved, I believe this is essential to getting to know Him better. Don't you? You will cleave to Him. That means weld yourself together with Him. You see, when we make known to Him that we are giving Him our decision-making process and no decision that we, we make will be without His consultation, without His input, that enables us to cleave to Him. That pleases Him so much He takes a part of Himself and imparts it to us. And we develop a closeness and a rapport with Him that is absolutely marvelous and wonderful. And beloved, I believe in this day and age in which we live, we need to take another look at the things that God says is right and what God says is wrong. When someone says, well, I was born this way and that's why I am a homosexual. No, no, I'll be frank about it. None of us is the way we were born. We're all living in a fallen state. No matter what our, our personality is, no matter what our character traits are, we've been born in perfection in Adam, but we're in a fallen state right now. And it may be very well true that these are my personality traits and these are my characteristics that, that comprise or make up my life. But beloved, the bottom line is this. When you become a new creation in Christ Jesus... And old things pass away and all things become new. We are told to put off the old man and put on a brand new man. Take off the old man and put on a brand new man. Isn't that true? Isn't that what the Word of God says? Every single one of us then should be looking for change in his or her life. I don't want to be the way I am forever on this earth. I want to, to improve in all areas of my life with regard to my personality, with regard to the, to the characteristics that characterize my life, I want improvement. Are you out there with me? Come on. If you want improvement in your marital relationship, you've got to make a decision as an individual to improve. Each, both of them do. We all have got to make this decision to improve, to want to improve in our lives. And I believe it starts right here. God is going to be the primary source that we choose to go to with regard to what is right and what is wrong and how I build my belief system and what I choose to do with my life. And that person that says, God made me this way, no, He did not make you that way. And even if you say you were born that way, you were still born in a fallen state. You're not born the way God made Adam in the very beginning. Hey, come on, I'm preaching real good now. You better say Amen. And you might be the son of an alcoholic, but I'm going to tell you something right now. You don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay that way. You can choose to have change in your life. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's out there for you and the potential exists. No matter who we are, we can do it. God's got to be first, though. We've got to fear Him. We've got to want it badly. And we've got to choose to look to Him when we make choices and decisions in our lives. Old things are passed away, all things are brand new, and we're to put off from ourselves all the things that will prevent us from experiencing the changes that God wants us to have in life. Change from glory to glory by the Spirit of God, quickened according unto the Word of God. 
Beloved, this is what I'm talking about when I say we've got to be so concerned about our own lives, about the changes that we need to take, have take place in our lives. We're too busy to, to judge anybody else. We are too, 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 too busy to look at someone else with a critical eye. Man, I've got so many adjustments that I want to make. I've got so many changes that I want in my life. I can't be concerned about what someone else is doing. Amen. They belong to God. They're able, God's able to hold them up. Praise God. Look at the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, if you would, please. Making right choices and decisions can give us longer life on this earth, and also it can be passed down to our children. Now, you talk about passing something down. It may not be through a gene, but it's going to be through something more powerful than a gene. The life of God passed down from you by faith to your child. Can you believe that? You speak those words. You've obeyed God. You're instructing your child in the way of God to make right choices, right decisions. You're putting good things, good values, good morals, good views, godly qualities and characteristics in that child's life. And I'll tell you something, they're going to blossom someday. Amen. Amen. They're going to blossom someday. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see this, beloved. Every single one of us who puts on Christ becomes a new creature, a new creation. And it is up to us, in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Your mind and my mind used to do things that were unbecoming as far as God was concerned. But now, we're in a new way to live. A new process by which we decide and make decisions. Look what it says. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Beloved, if we ever did that, we would be the people that God wants us to be. I'm putting it on, praise God. I'm putting on what? Love. I'm putting on honesty. I am putting on respect for God and respect for man. I am putting on humility and I will conduct myself in, in this manner. I am putting on perseverance. I am putting on patience. I am putting on peace. I'm going to live my life with compassion. I am putting on mercy and justice and equity in my life. Can you imagine if we got so busy putting on these qualities and, and maintaining these, these virtues and characteristics in our lives, can you imagine what kind of people God would be dealing with in the earth? Think about it. But he goes on to talk about put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. And, and here we can see when it comes to lying, this is just one, one thing we can look at. Well, should a person lie? Should a person cheat or steal? How is one going to conduct himself after he becomes a child of God? Well, we need to instruct or instill within the hearts of our young people, our youth, our children in particular, that look, lying is out of the question. It is not what is right in the sight of God. And when it comes to making right and wrong choices, you've got to make the right choice based on not what I think, based on not what your friends think, based on not what... Uh, the popular decision is by the people that you're surrounded by? No. You've got to base what is right, what you do with regard to speaking truth on what God says and what God says alone. We are to, to instruct our children that they need to, to line up with God, that they need to follow the way of God because that is what is, that's what is right. 
And what is wrong is not to obey God. And so that's why you don't steal. That's why if you got too much money back from the clerk at the grocery store, maybe an extra $10 thinking that you gave him a 20 when you only gave him a 10, that you begin to walk out the door and you look and you see, I've got too much money. I gave him a 10 and I've got more money than when I went in there and I bought something. And so I've got extra money here. And so you look at that and there's that temptation. Maybe it's a young person. Maybe it's a, just a teenager. And that person says, oh, oh, this will pay for my skating on the church night. Don't think the temptation doesn't come. You know it's going to come. You know it's going to be there. But the child needs to be taught something. That child needs to have instilled within his life what is right and what is wrong based on what God says. That's why that homosexual has to look at what God says on the subject. Let God be the one who is the bottom line as far as his decision making as to how he or she is going to live his or her life. It's not based on popular opinion. It's not based on the immorality of the day. It's not based on the, the, the decision of the, of the social people of the hour. It is based on what is God's view, what has God said, what did God say is right, what did God say is wrong, and that's what I choose to live my life by. Amen. And so there's that child looking at that money, but something on the inside of him is just rubbing him the wrong way because the further he gets away from the store, you know, it's just an ugly feeling on the inside. And finally he stops and says, you know what? This isn't right. I shouldn't walk off with this money. I shouldn't steal because that is stealing. And although I can do it, and although I can get away with it, and all, although maybe my feelings would like to do it, and maybe my unrenewed mind would like to do it, and if I had maybe three of my friends around me, they might persuade me or try to persuade me to do it. That might be the popular thing to do for the moment. No, 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 no. I have got to recognize that God says it's wrong. It's not right in the eyes of God. And the Scripture says, Do what is right in the sight of the Lord your God, not in the sight of your peers, not in the sight of your family, not in the sight of your culture, based on your culture, and what this decision you had made based, based on your culture, not based on anything but what God says is right and what God says is wrong, and you will draw nigh to Him, you will cleave unto Him, you will have intimacy with Him, there's going to be interaction with Him, you're going to know Him better, and a lot more of Him is going to rub off on you, and changes are going to take place in your life. So when we make our decisions and choices in life, beloved, number one has to be what does God say is right and what does God say is wrong and I have got to live my life by that no matter what my feelings say no matter what my even belief system is on my own no matter what they say at the local college no matter what the secular humanists say no matter what the new ageers say and certainly not what the soothsayers say Secondly, in Matthew chapter 5, and you can, there's all kinds of things there. I mean, if you read the rest of this, well, wait, don't, don't turn. There's too much here. Neither give place to the devil. We've got to make a decision that we're not going to give place to the devil. But look, let's read on. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands. You realize that's putting on God? That's putting on Christ? You are making a decision to put on Christ when you say, I'm not going to steal anymore. That may have been my own lifestyle. Maybe that's why I, I, I uh, maybe got some extra money on the side before, but I'm not going to do it anymore because God says it's wrong. But work with your hands and do that which is good in the sight of the Lord your God. Why? That you may have to give to Him that needeth. 
If you practice this principle, he is saying, God's going to bless you and you'll have an overflow and an abundance to give to those that are in need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You talk about something that every one of us cringes at when we hear, preach from a pulpit anywhere in the nation or the world. Let no corrupt, filthy communication proceed out from your mouth. How many of you have found yourself saying, I shouldn't say this, but... And the juices just start to flow. Your tongue is just getting, just ready to go. Right? And boy, the butt just bigger and bigger and bigger, just bulging until, boom, it starts flying out. Then look out, look out. With reckless abandon, the words start flying in all kinds of different directions. You know, that's a choice. And if we really fear God, you see why we need the fear of God to be the motivating factor of our heart? Okay, if we really fear God and we really fear that saying that is offensive to Him, I'm going to say that again, offensive to Him, then we'll say, that's not right. In the sight of the Lord my God, I shouldn't say that. And where there's the fear of God, the person will say, I'm not going to say that because that's not right in the sight of the Lord my God. And we can go on. But number two, when it comes to making right choices and decisions in life so that we can have good qualities, good views, good uh, values and morals in our lives to, to do what is right in the sight of the Lord, it is, we have to compare our attitudes and actions to God. We have to compare our attitudes and actions to God. Not to somebody else, but to God. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. When Jesus was here, he said of himself, I am the light of the world. Do you know what that means? That means everywhere you go, you are a living testament. A living epistle of the living Christ. And whenever we make a decision to display a bad attitude and demonstrate a wrong action, we are misrepresenting the very light and life of God himself. But you understand... I am so angry, that's a feeling. I am so upset, I am so hurt, that's another feeling. I'm so jealous. See, people make choices and decisions based on their feelings. And certainly don't get somebody who has an unrenewed mind to come up to you and say, or ask them, what should I do? And you know last week they just hit somebody over the head with a hammer for something that was minor. Don't ask their advice. They're not going to give you sound counsel. Right? Compare your actions and your attitudes to God Himself, to Jesus Christ Himself. You see, when we do that, beloved, it's going to change the way we make decisions. Would God act like that? Would that be His attitude? Would He make a decision based on that attitude or that action? He wouldn't do that. No, 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 no. I'm not going to let that happen. I refuse to give forth a bad light because my testimony is important in this life. Beloved, not only are we here to continue the works of Jesus in demonstrating the power of God, we're also here to continue the works of Jesus in demonstrating the character 
of God. Can you say amen? amen? And when you put these two together, you're going to have a dynamic force for God in the earth. God's going to be able to work more efficiently and effectively through human lives that are sold out this way. Now, number three, when it comes to making right choices based on the good things that are in us in Christ Jesus, we have got to commit our way to God. We have got to commit our way to God. And beloved, that takes a definite, certain amount of trust. God said, my ways are not your ways. My ways are so much higher than your ways that you can't even begin to calculate how much higher my ways are than yours. And we can see this in a positive light. God may tell you, your father might tell you, when you're going to lay hands on somebody to smack them across the face. I'm going to tell you something right now. You better start at a different level than that. If your God tells you, you should go to church today, suffice it to say that you should obey and go to church today. Or if he tells you, you should be in church as much as you possibly can and don't make excuses for yourself because I told you in my word, you need not, you should not forsake the assembling of yourself together, right? So you make your decision as to whether or not you go based on what God says is right and not what others have influenced you to do. Start there at that level, though. Why? Because you can be sure when he tells you to slap that person across the face, it's God. Amen. Start at a different level. Don't go smacking people without knowing it's God. <laughs> Amen is right. And finally, another thing is, is to count on God's provisions and protection. Count on God's provisions and protection. See, when you make a decision to step out with God and to do it His way and to disregard your own and others and popular opinion and all that, when you make a decision to just step out there, so to speak, if it means to step out and smack that person across the face because you know that God said to do it, and that's the right way to minister to that man or that woman because God said to do it that way, isn't that a decision you're going to have to make? Or are you going to want to minister to that person the way you want to or the way God wants you to? And if he says for you to smack him, what are you going to do? If he says to spit, what are you going to do? You're going to spit, right? Okay. Because that's the way that God says to do it. And that, how many know that's the right way if God says to do it that way? Okay, you're going to do it that way. You better count on his provision. You better count on his protection. Amen? Because, you see, once you do that, beloved, you are learning to submit to God's authority. You're even saying as an individual, as much as you know about God right now, you have not ruled out His sovereignty with regard to your life. You are so open to whatever other method, whatever other means, whereby He would have you do anything, you made it very clear to Him that you are making Him aware of the fact that you are submissive and you're going to yield to His authority and you're going to open up the door not only his protection but his provision and beloved it goes beyond that when a person steps out and says okay 
I'm going to let you be the one to decide what I should do with my life. How I should view things as being right or wrong. What moral standards I should have, what values I should hold to, what qualities I should maintain, what characteristics I should demonstrate or emulate in this life. I'm going to let you be the one. I'm going to line things up with your character, with your attitude, with your actions, how you would do things. And I'm going to commit myself to you and trust you with my life, with all this whole process. And now, finally, I'm opening up my life to your provisions as well as to your protection. And I know I'm going to be benefited not only physically, but emotionally or psychologically, financially, relationally, in every possible way. When it comes to how I should do things in my marriage, let's face it, beloved, we would do things differently. If we didn't have this written to us as a guideline as to how we should conduct ourselves in the marital relationship, we would do it our way. And we would actually think that our way was right. And that's why, you know, men go on doing the way they want to do it. And let's put it this way. When, when a man makes a decision, I don't need to be in church, that decision is based on himself. That decision is based on what he thinks or popular opinion. He might have taken a poll down the mill where he works. Anybody here think I should go to church this Sunday? No, 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 no. Yes. Well, 20 to 1, no, I don't go. And feels justified in doing it. Because you see what he's doing? He is allowing himself to be controlled by his own limited abilities, by his own limited knowledge. He's making wrong choices, not trusting God for the right choice to live the right way so he can open up his entire life to God's provisions and God's protection in all areas of life. And it goes right on down to his children. He passes that same provision and protection onto his children and his children's children as he commits himself to God in that way. Let's stand together before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.